You're listening to TIP. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Millennial Investing Podcast. I'm your host, Clay Fink. And today is another release of our mini episode series that we send out to you all every Saturday. This is the episode where it is just me diving into a specific topic related to personal finance, money, investing, or other related topics. With that, let's dive right in. You're listening to Millennial Investing by the Investors Podcast Network, where your hosts, Robert Leonard and Clay Fink, interview successful entrepreneurs, business leaders, and investors to help educate and inspire the millennial generation. All right. During this episode, I'm going to be covering some of the basics on how to value a stock. Warren Buffett has the famous quote that price is what you pay and value is what you get. So if you don't know what the value of something is, then you don't know whether the price you're paying is too high or too low. Now, when Buffett invests, he wants to figure out how much the business he is investing in is actually worth. He calls this the company's intrinsic value. When we see the prices of stocks go down substantially over a short period of time, a lot of people get really worried and maybe even sell their stocks for much lower than what they bought them for. But someone like Buffett is able to step in and buy stocks while they're cheap because he has a good idea of what the underlying value is of the company, like the true underlying value. Just as a generic example, say there's a company that Buffett likes and it's trading for $100 per share. And he determines that a fair value or the intrinsic value of that company is also around $100 per share. If the stock drops to, say, $50, a lot of people might be worried if that company is done for and if it's going to potentially go to zero. Well, if the company hasn't really changed fundamentally, then Buffett might be a buyer of that stock. You know, the price has changed from $100 to 50, but if Buffett believes that the stock is actually worth $100 and even though the stock price dropped, if the underlying value hasn't really changed that much, then he may be a buyer at that point while everyone else is selling and worried about the company and being emotional with their decisions. Having that really good understanding of the business and its true underlying value is what allows Buffett to take emotions completely out of it investing. So during this episode, I wanted to talk about two methods to analyze the value of a stock. The first method is called the discounted cash flow method. And the second is the internal rate of return method. So first is the discounted cash flow method. To help explain how this works, let's not even think about a company. Let's talk about what I'm going to call a money machine. I give credit to Preston Pish as I first learned this idea from him and many of the other concepts that I'm going to talk about during this episode from the website buffettsbooks.com. Imagine that I walked up to you and told you that I had a money machine that I wanted to sell you. And I wanted to sell it to you for $100. Well, the first thing you would probably say back to me is, well, how much money does the money machine actually produce? And that's a great question because how much money the machine produces helps determine what the true value or the intrinsic value, as Buffett would call it, of that machine is actually worth. Then I might tell you that the machine produces $15 per year. And then you might want to know, okay, well, how long does that you know, persist? Does it persist for a year? Does it persist for two years, 10 years, forever? Or how long is it going to produce that $15? And now showing this example helps paint a picture and telling what the variables are and determining the intrinsic value of the money machine. 
if the money machine produces $15 per year, let's assume it produces it for 10 years, and then it doesn't produce anything after that first 10 years. So we are going to project out all of those cash flows of the money machine to help determine what the value of it is today. So over the 10-year period, the money machine produces a total of $150. But the value of the final $15 payment in 10 years isn't the same as $15 today because of the time value of money. People value money more today than they do in the future, all else equal. Additionally, the value of the dollar, as we all know, is declining year after year because of inflation. And this is where the discount rate comes into play. Historically, many people have used the 10-year treasury rate as their discount rate, which is 2.7% at the time of this recording. I personally don't like using that to value a company because if the treasury rate happens to go up to 4% or 5%, then the intrinsic value drastically decreases because interest rates are like gravity. When interest rates rise, the value of financial assets decline. When interest rates drop, the value of financial assets rise. Another reason I don't like using the 10-year treasury as my discount rate is because inflation is much higher today than that interest rate, which usually isn't the case. It's kind of unique to today. And this is a very important concept to understand. If you're discounting your cash flows at 3%, but the value of your cash flows are declining because of inflation by, say, 10%, then you're assigning more value to those cash flows than what they're actually worth. For those who want to use a discounted cash flow model but not use the 10-year treasury rate, some choose to use what they call a hurdle rate. Some people have a 10% or 15% hurdle rate that they want all of their investments to achieve that they can use to determine if they want to invest in it or not. And they'll use that as their discount rate. Sometimes people will use different discount rates for different investments or different hurdle rates for different investments. It might be appropriate to use a 15% discount rate on riskier investments and a 10% rate on more conservative investments to help account for that additional risk with some companies. That's because the cash flows of a company like Tesla are more uncertain and they're a bit riskier than other businesses such as Walmart or you know these stable companies that have been around for a long time. So let's say that we used a 10% hurdle rate and the price I offer you for the money machine is $100. If the intrinsic value we calculate for the money machine is less than $100, then we wouldn't want to buy it because we calculated the intrinsic value or the value of the money machine to be less than $100. If the intrinsic value we calculate is above $100, then we would want to buy it because the price is less than what we believe the value is worth. Back to the money machine example, there are a lot of discounted cash flow models out there on the web that can help you calculate the intrinsic value, but I'm going to link the one I'm using that Preston and Stig put together on buffettsbooks.com. Once you understand how a DCF model works, you could even build a simple one yourself in Microsoft Excel or Google Sheets. It's actually fairly simple. I'll link the model I'm using on buffettsbooks.com in the show notes if anyone is interested in using it themselves. Essentially, all a discounted cash flow model is doing is projecting out the cash flows of what we're valuing into the future and then discounting those cash flows back to today using the discount rate, or in other words, the interest rate we're going to enter into our model. 
So if you projected out all the cash flows into the future for our money machine and discount them back to today, you'll come up with the intrinsic value, which you can then use to compare to the price you're offered to determine if you want to buy that asset or buy that money machine or not. Or you can use that to compare you know, your one investment to your other investment opportunities. So the first input into the model on the website is the earnings per year. And I mentioned earlier that that is $15 per year. Then it asks what rate we can expect the earnings to grow. And I put 0% because it produces the same amount every year in this example. Then our calculator asks for the discount rate. And we're going to use a discount rate of 10% as our hurdle rate we want our investment to achieve. Then finally, it asks how many years those cash flows will run. And I put 10 years. And then on their calculator, it shows that the sum of the discounted cash flows from the first 10 years is equal to $92. I mentioned earlier that over the lifetime, the money machine will produce a total of $150. That's $15 over 10 years. 15 times 10 is 150. But after discounting all of those cash flows to today at a rate of 10% per year, the total value we come up with is only $92. Just as a couple examples, the $15 cash flow at the end of year one is discounted back to $13.64 today. And the cash flow at the end of year 10 is only worth $5.78 as of today. So that kind of shows the power of that money compounding over time. And it's discounted in this example back to today. So because the value of $92 for the money machine we come up with is less than the $100 that you were offered to buy it, then you shouldn't purchase it because it's trading at a price above what you believe it's worth. Now, if you were satisfied with, say, a lower rate of return, say 8%, then it's likely that $100 would be a fair price to pay for the stock, price to pay for the money machine. So the hurdle rate you determine is really important if you're using a discounted cash flow model. To help illustrate how important the discount rate is, I also wanted to run a discount rate of 2.7% through the model as well. Using a discount rate of 2.7%, which is the 10-year treasury rate, this increases the intrinsic value of the money machine from $92 all the way to $130. So if you are satisfied with a 2.7% return, then you'd be willing to pay up to $130 for the money machine. For me, that is a pretty lousy return. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. Hey everyone, it's Patrick, your host of Millennial Investing. Every year, my buddies and I do a guy's trip to escape the cold and dreary Ohio winters. Once we pick our destination, without fail, we all jump on Airbnb and find an incredible place to stay. We just got back from an amazing trip in Palm Springs, California, and our Airbnb home was a huge part of creating memories we'll never forget. I loved it so much, I'm taking my family back to Palm Springs for spring break and we're staying in an Airbnb home my kids fell in love with and picked out themselves. While I was there, I had the realization that my own home could be an Airbnb. It's an excellent way to earn some extra cash, whether you're saving up for your next vacation, paying off some bills, or investing. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. That's airbnb.com slash host. Hey guys, have you ever wondered if there's an AI tool like ChatGPT specifically built for the stock market? A tool that not only does the research and analysis for you, but also allows for dynamic discussions? Well, wonder no more. Meet Meka, your AI-powered stock research assistant, now enhanced with real-time stock data. 
Let Maka do the heavy lifting for you to significantly reduce your research time. And the best part, Maka is 100% free. Ask Maka questions like, explore the financial health of Apple through a summary of its balance sheet. Compare the financial statements of Apple and Tesla. What is the analyst price target for Microsoft? What is the social sentiment analysis of Amazon and millions of other queries right at your fingertips? Visit Meka.com. That's M-E-Y-K-A.com. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting fundrise.com slash millennial investing. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found on the fund's prospectus at fundrise.com slash flagship. This is a paid advertisement. All right. Back to the show. Now you can take the money machine example and apply it directly to stock investing as well, because stocks consist of companies that are producing earnings and producing cash flows, or in other words, producing money, just like how the money machine was producing money every year. So businesses, you can think of them as money machines. I think it's really important for people to understand these concepts when they're looking into you know, investing in individual stocks. I might have someone tell me that Tesla's stock should be worth $4,000 per share, you know, way higher than it is today. Well, if you ask that person what discount rate they're using you know, in calculating that value, they might wonder what the heck you're talking about. I could come up with any value for Tesla stock that you want me to. It all just depends on whatever discount rate I enter into my model. If I'm satisfied with a 0.5% return, then maybe Tesla stock is worth $4,000 per share. But 0.5% is a really, really bad return. And I shoot for a much higher return, more like 10 or 15%. This is what people are kind of getting at when they say your future expected returns on stocks increase when stock prices go down and your expected future returns decrease when stocks go up. So in the DCF model, we are calculating what we think the value of a company is based on the company's future free cash flows. Now, the other method I like to use is calculating the internal rate of return or the IRR of the company. So instead of calculating the present value of all the free cash flows, you can just enter the price of the stock today into an IRR model, and it will calculate your expected return based on if you purchase the stock at today's price. This means that you don't have to worry about entering the discount rate yourself. And I like this method because we already know the price of the stock today. So I think it's helpful to just use that information that we already know and use it to our advantage in trying to calculate what sort of return we can get out of the company. The TIP finance tool on our website, theinvestorspodcast.com actually has a free IRR calculator that anyone can use. I love using it when I analyze stocks that I think might be a good deal. During this episode, I'm going to be walking through analysis of Google stock using the TIP Finance tool. If you want to pull up the tool, it might be easier to follow along as I talk through this, but it's by no means a requirement. So in the TIP Finance tool, I pulled up Google stock. At the time of this recording, it's trading at around $2,230 per share. First, we have to determine at what growth rate 
we expect Google's cash flows to grow into the future for the next 10 years. After looking through the past decade, I think a 10% growth rate is a fairly conservative assumption. And the model allows you to enter three different growth assumptions with different probabilities on those growth rates. And I just decided to keep it simple in this example and enter a 10% growth rate with 100% probability and leave the other entries at 0% just for simplicity's sake. And Google has grown much higher than that in the past decade. But you know, after looking through the numbers, I decided that a 10% growth rate was a fairly conservative assumption for this simple example. The next entry is our starting point for the free cash flows. If we leave this blank, then it will use the free cash flow that the company generated in the past 12 months, which right now is almost $69 billion. This is a drastic increase over the past couple of years. So I'm going to try and be a little bit conservative and say that the starting point is $60 billion. If we were to enter a recession, then we could see a substantial short-term decrease in this. So we should account for the potential for this to be lower to try and be a little bit conservative in our assumptions here. The next entry is the number of shares outstanding at the end of 10 years. The TIP Finance tool shows that there's 664,000 shares outstanding at the end of 2021. And I assumed that Google would buy back about 1% of their shares every year, which doing some quick math, after 10 years, that would mean there are 600,000 total shares at the end of 10 years. So again, I just assumed that they'd buy back 1% of shares over the next 10 years. I expect it honestly to be a lot higher than that. They've been buying at a bit faster paced recently. But again, I wanted to be a bit conservative here. So I assumed that they'd buy back 1% of shares per year. And at the end of 10 years, the entry I put is 600 or 600,000 total shares. Now with all of these inputs, this produces a 7.5% expected return for Google stock, assuming you bought it at today's price of $2,230 per share. One of the reasons I was interested in Google is because they've had a recent pullback. You know, it looks like they topped out at around $3,000 per share. So it's currently trading about 25% below where it topped out at the end of 2021. What the model is doing is projecting out the future free cash flows for Google and then discounting those to today and comparing it to the price of the stock, which is again $2,230 per share. To get back to that $2,230 per share today, we need to discount those cash flows at 7.5%, which is how the model came up with that expected return. Now, I'd like to tweak some of the variables to show you how it affects the expected return of our investment because the assumptions are we're kind of just trying to make conservative assumptions. And, you know, it's nice to mess around with some of the variables to see how that changes our expected return. If Google stock were to decline to, say, $1,900 per share next week and we purchased it then, this increases our expected return from 7.5% to 9%. So like I mentioned before, as the stock price falls, our expected return goes up, assuming our assumptions in the model hold true, which is a really key assumption. If Google ramped up their share buyback program, and instead of purchasing 1% of shares over the next decade, they purchased 3% per year, which would be a huge increase, that increases our expected return from 7.5% to 9.3%. If Google's free cash flows grew by 15% a year over the next decade instead of 10%, that increases our expected return from 7.5% to 10.5%.
So once you get a good idea of what your expected return is on a company, you can then use that and compare it to other investments you're interested in. So if you find two similar companies with similar risk levels that you want to add to your portfolio, you can use your IRR model to compare your opportunity cost between the two. If company X produces a return of 8%, but company Y has an expected return of 12%, then you'd want to invest in company Y because you're going to get more for your money, assuming that the risk between the two is similar. You know, you'd expect a higher return on a riskier investment in general. Now, all of the assumptions in the DCF model or IRR calculation are important. So it's really important that you're able to come up with conservative assumptions. If it requires really high growth rates and the earnings to hit a return that works for you, then there might be a good chance that you're being a bit too optimistic in your assumptions. Another piece I wanted to mention is that you're really sure that the company has a durable competitive advantage. A company with a strong moat and a strong competitive advantage ensures that the cash flows you're projecting into the future are durable and they're going to be growing over time. If a company doesn't have a strong moat, then you're not able to project out those cash flows 5 or 10 years into the future with confidence as another company might come in and disrupt them. This is why Buffett is so big on companies that have a strong moat. Then he's comfortable holding that company for a long time. Coca-Cola is a prime example for Buffett. He bought Coca-Cola back in 1988. And because he recognized that strong brand and the strong moat the company had, he's been able to hold it for a very long time. You know, Now it's been 34 years. Back in 1988, the revenues for Coca-Cola were $8.1 billion, And today, it's all the way up to $40 billion in revenues per year. It just goes to show that Buffett you know, was able to see that really strong moat they had because many companies do not last that long, let alone grow by you know, that much. Outside of the DCF and IRR calculations, one could also look at other metrics such as the price to earnings ratio or the price to free cash flow. These metrics vary by industry and by company. One thing I like to do is look at how that ratio has changed over time for the company. Sometimes you're able to see that the ratio moves up and down over the past, say, 10 years. And you can see how the company has traded over time. And when it's in the lower end of the range, you might find a really good time to buy. So that's another metric I like to look at when determining you know, if something is over or undervalued or if it's trading in a range that's normal over its past history. So that's all I had for today's episode. I hope you guys learned something about how to value a company and you found value in this episode. If you guys have any questions related to anything I discussed, feel free to reach out to me. I'd be happy to try and help you. My email is clay at theinvestorspodcast.com. And on Twitter, my username is at clay underscore fink. Feel free to DM me there. My DMs are open at C-L-A-Y underscore F-I-N-C-K. I'll be sure to get back to you when I have a chance. And again, I'd be really happy to help you guys out. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you again next time. Thank you for listening to TIP. Make sure to subscribe to We Study Billionaires by the Investors Podcast Network. Every Wednesday, we teach you about Bitcoin and every Saturday, we study billionaires and the financial markets. To access our show notes, transcripts or courses, go to theinvestorspodcast.com. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any decision, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by the Investors Podcast Network. Written permission must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.